Good morning. We are so glad that you could join us at Central Church. And so now today, again, Jesus is flipping our thinking. You are blessed. The blessed are those who are, are, God blesses those who are humble or meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And I suppose the question for us is, well, who exactly are these ones who are humble and meek? What does it mean to, 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 to inherit the whole earth? And if someone is, is, is really good at basketball and they say they're not good at basketball, is that the humility that Jesus is talking about? I'm not so sure. That's more like gamesmanship. If you're saying you're not good at basketball and you are good at basketball, it's kind of taking advantage of your opponent, hoping that they'll let their guard down so you can, you know, zip around them and do a layup. That's, that's gamesmanship. That's not humility. But Jesus is saying, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. New Living Translation says, blessed are the, are the humble. New International Version says, blessed are the meek. Here's an interesting fact. This word that's used here, it's only used three times, and Matthew is the only one that uses it. It's used here in this passage, Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The second time Matthew uses it is in Matthew 11, verse 29. That's the passage where Jesus is speaking, and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. That's the word right there. It's translated in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, it's translated as gentle, but it's the exact same word that is used in Matthew 5, 5, blessed are the meek. So Jesus is describing himself, come to me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So, so Jesus is equating himself with this attitude, I am gentle, I am meek, I am humble. And then in Matthew, the third place that it's used is in Matthew 21, verse 5. In Matthew 21, Matthew is quoting the prophet Zechariah, Zechariah 9, 9. This is the passage where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. It's Palm Sunday, the day we celebrate is Palm Sunday, and people are waving their palm branches and saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Matthew, quoting Zechariah, says, see your king comes to you gentle. That's the word again. Translated gentle there, just like in Matthew 11, but it's the same word that's used as meek in Matthew 5. See, your king comes to you gentle, riding on a donkey. So, so in the three times that it's used in Matthew's gospel, two of those three times, it's used to describe Jesus. Once from Jesus himself, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, for I am gentle. And once from the lips of a prophet, Zechariah, written hundreds of years before Jesus, who said, your king is coming, and he'll be coming, riding gentle, being gentle. So two of those times, it's describing Jesus as the one of, 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 that's gentle or humble or, or meek. So you could deduce, blessed are those whose attitude is like Jesus. Blessed are those who approach life like Jesus. Who are the ones that inherit the earth? They're the gentle, the humble, the meek, the people who act like Jesus act, plain and simple. They act like Jesus act. They care like Jesus cares. They love like Jesus loves. They, they, they go like Jesus goes. Jesus is the one that said in Matthew 20, the first shall be last, the last first. Those are the ones who have that attitude just like Jesus. 
It's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, that attitude. Remember, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was praying. It's the night that he's betrayed. In a few moments, he's going to be betrayed by a kiss by one of his closest followers, Judas. In in an hour or two, he's going to be stripped and beaten. Within the next 24 hours, he's going to be killed and crucified on a cross. And yet there he's praying, "I, I want your will to be done, not mine. That attitude. So the meek are not the, 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 the losers of society. The meek are not the doormats. The meek are not the ones that with the kick me sign on their back. No, the, the meek are the courageous ones who in the face of, of, of overwhelming odds, overwhelming adversity, recognizing and saying, even though this road may not be easy, God, like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Not my will, but your will be done. It's what Paul talks about in in the book of Philippians when he says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That's the meek. The ones who have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. The ones who pray that same prayer that Jesus prayed, not my will, but your will be done. I don't want my, my ideas. I don't want my kingdom to come. I want your kingdom to come. I don't want my, my uh, name to be lifted high. I want your name to be lifted high. Not my will done, but your will done. That's what what's, we're, we're talking about here. That's who the meek, that's the humble, that's the gentle. It's saying, I'm yours, completely yours, absolutely yours. Not my will, but your will be done. Is that you? Is that how you would describe yourself? It's being like Moses' rod. Do you remember the rod that Moses Moses carried a big old stick. That's really all that it was. It was a big old stick. And remember that? He took it with him wherever he went. Back in those days, if you were a shepherd, which Moses was for, for a large part of his life, that's what, what, what you took with you. And when he met with God, God came to Moses and said, Hey, Moses, you're the man. I'm going to use you to deliver Israel from the Egyptians. And Moses was not all for it. He said, God, you've got the wrong guy. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm 80, and um, I'm a shepherd, and um, I have this little problem back in Egypt. It seems, you know, <laughs> I got a little bit of a record. Uh, uh, I killed a guy back there, and so I, and I stutter. That's a big problem, too. And so, God, I'm really not your man. I, I think all those things disqualify me. I'm really, I, I really don't have that great of a resume. There's probably somebody better than me, and he's going on, and God says, hey, Moses... Would you be quiet and throw down that big old rod and throw it down on the ground? And Moses says in so many words, God, I I don't know if you understand. You know a lot of things about a lot of things. But out here in the wilderness, we don't throw our big old rod down to the ground because you never know when the bear's going to come or a wolf's going to come. And and so you just don't throw your rod to the ground. And God says, Moses, throw your dumb old rod down to the ground. And so Moses threw his rod down to the ground and the rod quickly became a snake. And Moses took off running like he had just seen, well, a snake. And then God, with I think a hint of a smile on his face, said, Moses, pick up that snake by the tail. 
And Moses says in so many words, God, you know a lot of things about a lot of things, but the one thing we don't do is we don't pick up snakes, and if we, by some crazy chance, do pick up a snake, we never, ever, ever, never pick up a snake by its tail. God, that's the craziest thing you've ever said. And God says, Moses, would you just pick up that snake? And so Moses reached down, and when he, picked, when he touched the slimy scales of the snake, it went back into a rod. And it was with that rod that Moses went into Pharaoh's court, and it was with that rod that he smashed it down on the sea, the Red Sea, and it split into two, and it was with that rod... Every day as Moses was carrying it around, Moses recognized that God uses ordinary, everyday things, just a big old stick. But a big old stick in Moses' hands with God's power at work could do amazing things. The question is, is that you? Are you that that rod in God's hands? Who are the meek? The meeks are, the meek are rocks. Rocks like... Rocks like David grabbed. Do you remember those? You remember that story? I learned this song when I was a kid in junior church. Only a boy named David, only a brook in Brook, only a boy named David, but five little stones he took. Is that you? Are you those stones? I, the stones that David used in David and Goliath, those stones? I'm dating myself. Do you remember the song, uh, Jim Croce song, You Don't Mess Around with Jim? Do you remember that? You don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't take the mask off the old Lone Ranger. And you don't mess around with Jim. Do, 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 do. Stupid. Last week I'm rapping, and this week I'm singing Jim Croce. Croce. I'll, be, I'll be sending my resume out next week, I think. <laughs> and people in Israel in, the, in that century were saying, you don't, you don't send a boy to fight a giant. You don't send a boy to do a man's job that all the men were afraid to do. But when you're a king like Saul and you have very little options, you send a boy. And you say to that boy, hey boy, why don't you put on my armor? Why don't you take my shield? Why don't you take my sword? And the boy says, you know, you know, really all that I need are a few rocks. And those rocks in David's hands turned into missiles and were exactly what was needed to defeat that giant. You see, my point, my point, my point, ordinary, everyday, common things, a rod, rocks, but in the hands of someone fully committed to God Almighty. Not my will, but your will can be done. It can be extraordinary. The Bible is full of those examples. It's, it's, it's the two little fishies and the five loaves of bread in the boy's hand. Do you remember that story? Jesus took his lunch, and, and it's not that great of a lunch. Who wants to have just a bread and fish lunch? No, thank you. I don't want that. I'd rather go to, you know, five guys or something, but not, not fish and bread. I don't want that. But in Jesus' hands, those five loaves of bread and two little fishies became a meal, a feast for thousands and thousands. Ordinary, every day. But in the master's hands, the meek become mighty. The the meek uh, aren't necessarily the magnificent, but in the master's hands. A rod in the hands of Moses, stones in the hands of David, five loaves and two fishies in the hands of Jesus. Or how about this one? Maybe the best example of all is one of my favorite stories in John chapter 9. That's when Jesus heals that guy who had been born blind. Remember that story? 
Jesus goes and there's a guy who's been born blind and there's a debate going on amongst the disciples who sinned because in that day and age, uh, the logical conclusion was if someone had some terrible calamity happen to them like blindness, then somebody had to have sinned. They somehow, somewhere, somebody had to offend God and that's why you're in such a terrible condition is because someone sinned. And so, so they're having this debate who sinned? Was it his mama? Was it his daddy? Was it this guy? He was born blind. How do you sin in the womb? I don't know. Was it this guy that sinned? Somebody had to sin, Jesus. Who sinned? And Jesus in John chapter 9 verse 3 says, it was not because of his sins, of his, uh, his sins or his parents' sins, what happened so that God's power could be seen in him. And so Jesus then, you know, hacked a big old loogie right down into the dirt and he twists it around with his finger and he puts it, he picks up that mud pie and he sticks it in the blind guy's eyes. Now, John doesn't record anyone saying, yuck, Jesus, that is so gross, which clearly proves that Carla was not there because she would have said that. My lovely germaphobe wife would have said, that is just the grossest thing ever. When we had David and Tabita, our missionaries from a couple weeks ago, and when they were with us, we were up in, 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 we took them up to Frankenmuth. And, and we were there, and we're walking around. And David told us that in Ecuador, um, one of the things they do, he hasn't done this yet, because, you know, they just arrived in Ecuador, really, and haven't settled in yet. But one of the things they do is the men will sit in this big old circle, and will have this, this cup of some kind of liquid drink. And the, 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 the first guy will take it, and will take a big swig, and there's leaves in it. And, and if he gets a leaf, he'll get the leaf and he'll chew it up and spit it back into the cup. And then he passes it to the next guy. And the next guy takes a big old gulp. And if he gets a leaf, he chews it up and spits it back in and passes it to the next guy. And right then and there, Carla said, I know I'll never be called into missions. Don't worry about it, Rob. We are not going to the mission field ever. No one, I don't think, said yuck when Jesus put this mud pie into this guy's eyes. But that's exactly what happened. And then John tells us that the man went and washed and came back seeing. You can't get more common than a mud pie. A mud pie that Jesus, you know, from Jesus spit in the mud in the ground and he stuck it in the guy's eyes. And yet that common every day, not all that extraordinary in the master's hands, turned into something extraordinary. See, the same God that used Matthew, or Moses' rod, that used, used David's stones, that used that boy's lunch, that took that mud pie to the meek, to the humble, the gentle, to those that are saying, not my will, but your will be done. Those are the ones, Jesus said, they inherit the earth. The ones who have the same attitude as Jesus. The ones who say, Father, you are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me, make me, shape me into the person you want me to be. Those are the ones, Jesus says, inherit the earth. See, the meek aren't the doormats of society, not the ones with the kick me sign on their back. No, the meek, the ones that are humble before God, Jesus says, are lifted up. The meek are the people who, who place themselves in God's hands. And say, God, whatever you want, however you want to use me, wherever you want to send me, 
Whatever, you, whatever plans you have for me, they're better than my plans ever could be. Not my will, but your will be done. See, God has a way of taking the ordinary and making it extraordinary. Taking common things, making them spectacular. Taking the humdrum, making it holy. Taking the mundane, making it majestic. You see, God cares more about your availability than your abilities. And he will take you and use you for his glory. And you can accomplish so much if you put yourself in the master's hands. That's the point. See, God sees our potential, sees what could happen in us, through us, with us, if we just put ourselves in his hands. That's why Jesus says, those that are blessed, they're the humble, they're the meek, they're the gentle, they're the ones that have an attitude just like Jesus. And the big question for us on this Sunday morning, is that us? Are you God's person? Totally, from head to toe. Now, I know, I know, I know, we're in church, I know the church, he answered, yes, pastor, you know, all to Jesus, I surrender, all to him, I freely give. But, but really, deep down, is that you? I heard a poem once, it was, it's called, um, The Pew Upon Which I Sat. It's, it's not a great poem, it goes like this. Once upon a pew I sat, and heard the preacher ask, We need someone to teach a class, now who will take this task? And God sat down beside me and said, Son, that's for you. But Lord, to stand before a class is one thing I cannot do. But Bill, he would be the man to call. There's nothing he won't do. I'd I'd rather hear that lesson taught from here upon my pew. Once upon a pew I sat and heard the preacher ask, We need someone to lead the songs. Now who will take that task? Then God sat down beside me. And said, son, that's for you. But Lord, to sing in front of a crowd is one thing I cannot do. Now, Brother King will do the job. There's nothing he won't do. I'd rather hear the music played from here upon my pew. Once upon a pew I sat, I heard the preacher ask, I need someone to keep the door, greeter. Now, who will take this task? Then God sat down beside me, said, son, that's for you. Anybody could be a greeter, you knucklehead. But saying things to strangers, Lord, is uh, one thing I cannot do. Now, Tom, he can talk to people. Lord, there's nothing he won't do. I'd rather someone come to me and greet me at my pew. As years just seemed to pass me by, I heard the voice no more until one day I closed my eyes and woke upon the shore. Twas four of us together there to face eternity. And God said, I just need three of you to do a job for me. Oh, Lord, I cried. I'll do the job. There's nothing I won't do. But Jesus said, I'm sorry, son. In heaven, there's no pews. The point is, are you a willing worker? Are you willing to put yourself like that rod in Moses' hands? Like those stones in David's hands? like that kid's lunch, like that mud pie. Ordinary, regular, every day. Maybe maybe by the world standards, none of us in this room are, are, are the best and the brightest. Maybe we've got the best and the brightest in the room. Maybe there is a Nobel Prize winner in here. I don't know. But for most of us, maybe we're just regular, ordinary people. But placed in the master's hands. We can do powerful, extraordinary, glorious things in the master's hands. 
in the master's hands. We can see, you know, we pray, we pray all the time that God's kingdom would come and God's will would be done in Flint as it is in heaven. And sometimes people say to me, Pastor, do you really believe that? You know, there's a lot of problems. Are you kidding me? In the master's hands, God can work miracles. He took that group of 120 losers in the upper room. All of them had denied Jesus within a, a matter of weeks. All of them were afraid. All of them thought they were going to be next on the, on the hitman squad. He took those 120 people and literally turned the world upside down. Are you kidding me? God can, if we're in the master's hands, if our attitude is like Jesus, humble, meek, gentle, have the attitude, not my will, but your will be done. There's nothing, there's nothing that God can't do. I remember, I've told you so many of my dad's stories. I don't think I've told you this story. My dad, as you know, was an alcoholic, came to know the Lord. And when he became a Christian, he became, I mean, it wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just a, a, a change in, in not drinking. It, it was a total transformation that took place in my dad's life and and he became an on-fire believer in jesus christ and there wasn't anything he wouldn't do and i can remember that my dad would do anything at the church and and so so we were there you know this was in we went to a little church there were 60 70 people at most on a on a sunday morning and so our you know we mowed the grass on saturday and we were the janitors and we did whatever it had to be. I remember one time they were building a new church building and, and my dad was up on the roof. He was doing, my dad was about as handy as me, which means not handy at all. And, and the preacher saw my dad coming up the ladder and he thought that my dad had, had forgotten something below, you know, and so he said, oh, did you forget your hammer? And my dad said, no, I fell off the roof. <laughs> and he was just coming back up, you know, tumbled off, back up. My dad would do anything, anything, anything in the church after he, because God had done so much in his life. He'd do anything. So, frequently, again, a small church, we didn't have a staff. We had one preacher, and that was it. He did everything that we didn't do. Well, when he would go on vacation, frequently, he would ask my dad to preach. My dad wasn't called to preach, but my dad would get up, and, and he would usually just share his testimony, what God had done in his life, and how God had transformed his life, and, and God had, had, had worked in his life, and that was what he would do. Well, on one Sunday, the preacher was going to be gone, and he, he didn't ask my dad to preach. He asked a guy named Ernie Knight to preach. Ernie had been called to, 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 to the ministry. He had his local preacher's license like we gave Nate this morning. And, and Ernie was going to go. Eventually, he would take his family, move from Westland, Michigan, and move to Colorado Springs and go to the Bible College, which was then located in Colorado Springs. And later, Ernie went on to pastor a couple of churches. This may have been Ernie's first sermon. I don't remember that. I was just a kid. I was, I was young, probably six, seven, eight years old. Well, the preacher asked Ernie to preach, and so Ernie preached that Sunday morning, and he preached a sermon, if I remember uh, the story, it was on keeping one's vows and following God's lead. And Ernie, again, first sermon, maybe second that he'd ever preached. I'm sure it wasn't, you know, it wasn't Billy Graham, it wasn't a masterpiece. But he got done preaching, 
And my dad was the first one at the altar. He was, he was crying out to God. And he was pouring his heart out to God. And back in those days, when, you, when there was an altar call, especially in that church, you know, 60, 70 people, people either came up and prayed with the person at the altar or they stayed in their pew and prayed until, until they were done. No one left. You just prayed until that person, the term was prayed through. And so if it took them 20 minutes, if it took them an hour, you, we just all stuck around and prayed until the person prayed through. And I don't know how long it took my dad to pray through. And no one knew what he was praying about. He was just bawling and calling out to the Lord. And it got done. And he stood up and he faced that congregation of 60 or 70 people. And he, and he confessed that he was jealous that the pastor asked Ernie to preach and not him. And he apologized to Ernie. And he said, I never want there to be any bitterness. Never wanna, I would never want anything to be between me and God. No one knew. No one knew. I don't think Ernie knew. No one knew. He, he could have, no one knew. Only The only two people that knew that my dad had bitterness in his heart and was, had a twinge of jealousy was him and Jesus. But that's all it took. And he said, I, I don't want anything to come between us. Now, I don't know if anybody else was impacted that day, but I know there was a little kid who was six or seven or eight years old who stood and was st- sitting there because we didn't have children's church in those days. I was sitting there and I saw my dad stand up and confess that he was jealous and say, I don't want that to be me. See, what I'm saying is humble, gentle, acting like Jesus, saying, I want to be the person that God wants me to be. I want to be in his hands. I want to do what he wants me to do. I want to go where he wants me to go. I want to be who he wants me to be. And and if there's anything at all that's standing between me and him, I want to get rid of it as quickly as I can because I want to be his, completely his, totally his. That's what this is about. Not my will, but your will be done.